This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Jimmy Dore Show, The Young Turks, Counterspin, The David Feldman Show, The Majority Report, On the Media, and Media Matters. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode contains both good and bad sentiments about Keith Olbermann. Devotees and sycophants may wish to avert their ears. Right now, let's go to Howard Kurtz. So Howard Kurtz, if you don't know, he hosts Reliable Sources, a show that critiques the media's coverage of the news, kind of a watchdog for the media. The problem is that Howard Kurtz is bad at his job. (laughs) He was bad when he was at the Washington Post, and he's bad now. He just fails upward, Uh, right? It's like he's he's like a watchdog with very bad eyesight. He bites whoever knocks at the door. doesn't matter. Uh, he's hey, a watchdog with rabies. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, while your house is getting burgled, he's got his teeth into the ass of the mailman. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Howard Kurtz to mm. meet. And so here he is. He has a panel on to discuss uh, the Rush Limbaugh controversy. Mm. Okay, so here's how he starts it off. This is part of what he does. He likes to stoke outrage and draw attention by saying things that are a bit over the line. This time, with the President of the United States calling uh, this young woman, uh, it seems to have sparked a, a greater than unusual furor. So Howard Kurtz still kind of puzzled about how, why this got such big media mm. play. Yeah, this is what he does. He went a little over the line. This is what, yeah, let's listen to it again. Ready? This is part of what he does. He likes to stoke outrage and draw attention. He likes this as part of what he does. By saying things that are a bit over the line. A bit over the line. So here's how his Republican... Hitler enjoys a nice parade. <laughs> a lot of people took it the wrong way. <laughs> Exactly. Mm-hmm. And here's how the media so that's how his republic that's how the media watchdog saw it. Right. The media watchdog Howard Kurtz. Mm-hmm. Here's how the non watchdogs, his Republican guests, describe Limbaugh's attacks on Sandra Fluke. First up is uh, former Bush speechwriter David Frum. Here's how he saw Rush Limbaugh's attacks. That's I think that's about the worst thing I've ever heard on radio. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> Republican guy who coined the term axis of evil mm-hmm. sees it as worse than Howard Kurtz does. I, I what is David Trump is doing the greatest 180 degree in the last yeah, year or two. he's a lot of great articles, yeah. Well, what happened was he started to speak the truth about mm-hmm. what was wrong with his party in an attempt to fix it, right? You have to first identify what's wrong before you can right. fix it. And the problem is that they don't want to hear that stuff. Yeah. And you can't do that. So when he, as soon as he did that, as soon as he started speaking out against Fox News, I remember he made a very famously said that it used mm-hmm. to be Fox News worked for us and now we work for Fox right, News. Right, right. So when he started to say things like that, they fired him from the think tank that he was working for. Was it the... I forget the name of the American Center for Progress. or Oh, right. I forget what the name of the think tank. It might even have been the Heritage Foundation, but he worked at a conservative mm-hmm. think tank, and they fired, fired him. So you, you can't... You that's, that's too bad for him, because that's got to be the cushiest job ever, that, to be at a think tank. A think tank is yeah. a cushy... I, I, oh, boy. Could, I just like to be able to say that at parties. Yeah. I think all day long, and nobody <laughs> pays me. What do you do with the thing? I work at a think tank. Oh, are you kidding me? You can see there. So uh, here's a former writer. Here's Julie Mason, former writer for the political. Here's how she saw what Rush Limbaugh said. What he said was appalling. It's reprehensible. Okay. Okay. So let's hear it. What, how did Howard Kurtz describe it again? A bit over the line. Okay. <laughs> okay. Again. Again. Axis of evil guy? That's, I think that's about the worst thing I've ever heard on radio. Nate, what he said was appalling. It's reprehensible. A bit over the line. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's the media he watchdog. make a rap song out of that or something. <laughs> yeah, I could put it together, yeah, put a beat yeah, underneath uh, it and uh, get Will Smith to go, ha ha over it a couple times and uh would it be a meme at that point it might be and now so here he is uh 
uh, talking about media bias. Here, here, here we go. Here's Howard Kurtz talking about this in terms of media bias. Ready? Sandra Fluke was all over MSNBC. She was on NBC's Today Show, as we saw. They loved that story. Almost. They, they love loved, it. They, they love loved it. that story. Those she was all over MSNBC. Mm-hmm. You mean someone at the center of the biggest news story sucking all the oxygen out of all the other news stories was interviewed on a news channel? Mm-hmm. Oh, she was all they over. That. Oh, and then she was on the Today Show. They loved it. They loved <laughs> mm-hmm. talking about the fact that a millionaire bully who's employed by one of the biggest corp- media corporations in the country was intimidating a private citizen and calling and sexually shaming her mm. for speaking up for women's health. Mm. That's what he's talking about. She was all over. As right. if she was a media slut. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy that said these things is employed by the corporation that is owned by the front-running Republican presidential candidate. You mean Rush Limbaugh? Yes, he's yes. employed by, uh, by Clear Channel, which is owned by Bain Capital, mm-hmm. unless I'm mistaken. No. That's, that is what I understand. You know what? I'm going to double check. We'll fact check that before we drop this show. But okay. uh, no, pretty... I've heard that too. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Yes. So Frank has uh, confirmed that he heard it. So I guess that means. How is Romney uh, at this point? Because if he says. If he is appalled by what uh, Limbaugh says, he's going to be afraid to say it because he doesn't want to alienate the the far right that he needs to win this right. primary. But if he doesn't denounce it, that gives the Democrats bait after the well, primary. It's been if he a wins week it. and he hasn't denounced it yet, so I don't I don't think that's forthcoming. From well, me. if the Democrats don't uh, don't jump on that, they're well, they they're ha- foolish. Yeah, they have been, I, I I believe. All right, let's get back. Here's Kurtz again. Once again, here's Howard Kurtz trying to talk about how the media covered Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> Sandra Fluke was all over MSNBC. She was on NBC's Today Show, as we saw. They loved that story. Almost nothing on Fox News about this. So we see the uh, the choosing of ideological sides as to whether or not this, the, these slut comments were truly offensive. Okay, let me break that down for you, what he just said. <laughs> so there's a news story. There's a story in the news. A news channel covers that story. Another news channel doesn't cover that story. Because it doesn't fit their ideological perspective. And he says, see, it's just uh, the only, the only reason MSNBC covered it was because of their ideological They're taking bent. sides. Right. Like, They're t- we're, we're on see, the side of covering the yes. story. So the only reason, yes, yeah, so there's no objective, again, it's no like objective equal, facts. It's an equal thing. The liberal slut protectors. Yes, the liberal <laughs> slut protectors. So Fox not only didn't interview her, but they overtly buried the story almost as if they weren't really a news station. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story mm. here, uh-huh. Howard, mm. that Fox didn't cover that. That's mm-hmm. the story. Not that somebody did and somebody didn't and somebody loved covering it. Mm-hmm. The story is that a news channel that has the biggest viewership in cable news didn't cover that story. Right. That's what he should be complaining about. But he's like, see, if you're conservative, you don't cover it. If you're liberal, you cover it. It's all it's all split down the middle. You shot it.
You know the Rush Limbaugh story, uh, of course, where he called Sandra Fluck a prostitute and, you know, and a slut, etc. She was testifying or trying to testify about contraception on Capitol Hill when the Republicans initially blocked her and the Democrats allowed her to eventually uh, say her piece. And so a lot of advertisers left because it was so obnoxious and ridiculous. And there's some reports that over 100 advertisers have left Rush Limbaugh's program. He's in a lot of trouble. But uh, Fox News, of course, found one advertiser that's proud to stick with Rush Limbaugh. This guy's name is Mark Stevens. He's uh, the founder of a global marketing firm, uh, MSCO. But, okay, so he sticks with Rush, no problem. It's a free country. You're allowed to leave Rush's program. You're allowed to stay with Rush's program. No, no problem whatsoever. Now, some people have been putting pressure on his company, which they're also allowed to do, saying, hey, you know what, you know, since Rush Limbaugh disrespects women, you're doing likewise by advertising on his program. First Amendment, right? Wrong. Mark Stevens is going to go on with Megyn Kelly here and say that that is an act of terrorism. Watch. I think that the word boycott uh, is, uh, puts a uh, nice sugar coating over the fact that this really is internal American terrorism. You don't have to strap on a, uh, um, a suicide bomber's belt to engage in terrorism. These people have gone to, uh, terrorism um, derives from the term to invoke fear in people. They've called my people in my company, they've called the women in my company, um, and told them they're women haters, they're the most horrible terms. They've told me, these are tens of thousands of emails by the way, most of them are positive, but, but the small group, they've told us that we're under surveillance, the, the email subject lines say citizen of the internet, police of the internet, mark you're in danger, your house is going to be surrounded by buses, your business is going to be destroyed, your people are in trouble. This is terrorism. Why don't we start calling it what it is? I love that. Uh, you know, you, he's talking about the emails. First of all, if you work online or, or if you live these days, will you get some emails that are angry? I mean, or comments on... We're terrorized every single day. Every single day, we're the most terrorized people in the world. <laughs> Hundreds, sometimes thousands of comments saying, we hate you with this. You're the worst. You're A-Rod. Well, you're to this, be fair, you're that. you get those, I guess. Yeah. I get a few, but. Oh, you're the worst. Okay, anyway, stop terrorizing. Okay, but he says he's got a small amount of emails, and then he's a danger. Danger. Oh, Jesus, what's the danger? Like, buses will come to your house. <laughs> What, okay, what happened? <laughs> Apparently, that's the same as strapping out a bomb. You saw, heard him yeah. say, internal American terrorism. So, you know, we've been, Anna and I have been talking about how they're expanding the definition of terrorism every day. So, first it was like, well, drug gangs, I mean, they terrorize people, so maybe they're terrorists. And then it was like people smoking weed. No, no, cyber activists. Yes. Okay, that was also terrorism. Now, if you send an angry email, well, terrorist. Terrorism. I can't believe you criticized Rush Limbaugh and this guy who's supporting him. Terrorist. It's unreal. He's going to go on. Of course, Megyn Kelly's got his back. Let's watch. Do you take that seriously? Does it cause you some concern? Absolutely no concern. Let them come. <laughs> then what's the Let thing? Them come. <laughs> Something is going on here that has to be, you know, addressed because then the country's at risk. If I can't advertise where I want to advertise, my business because of a small group of people, we can tell because the the vast majority of emails are in support of. Us, Rush, America, the Constitution, the American way. A small portion of people that I call the hissy fitters. What so you- I'm not going to play that role. And I'm not afraid. And bring on the buses. 
Whoa! So look, if you actually thought it was terrorists, and you thought a busload of terrorists were going to come to your house... Let them come! Yeah, I don't think you'd be talking about how you'd be bringing it on. If you told me a busload of terrorists are coming to your house, you know what I'd do? I'd leave the house. He said, people have been emailing us saying that they're citizens of the internet. Well, obviously, they're very... That sounds so dangerous! Oh, my God! Bring them on, and they are a threat to the country. They're not a threat to this guy. This guy's way too tough, right? (laughs) But a threat to the American way, to Rush Limbaugh, and what this country stands for. All that poor Mark Stevens is doing is trying to stand up to terrorists for the rest of the country, because he's not scared at all. But he's worried that other people might be affected. Because what have we come to if he can't advertise on the Rush Limbaugh program without getting a couple of angry emails? But this is right up Fox News' alley, right? The fear-mongering. Let's find a lunatic who's afraid of online activists, right, and have him call them terrorists and, and make people scared of random people online who do what they always do, see, make comments, you know, voice their opinions. See, that's my final point, because I think that's the funniest part. So that he's like, well, no, the technical definition of terrorism is to uh, terrorize, to invoke fear, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Rush Limbaugh and Fox News do for a living. They're like, oh my God, Obama's going to take away your guns. Obama's going to take away your freedom. This country's no longer going to be free. He's a socialist. He's a mouse. Be scared of Obama. Oh my God, Obama's going to do repatriation. Oh my God, no. Or reparations. Obama's going to do everything. They're like, can you believe I got terrorized by those couple of emails? (laughs) World's biggest hypocrites, man. But at least they're entertaining in their over-the-top hypocrisy. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Politico has given us a glimpse inside the liberal sensibilities of some of our most prominent journalists with a March 15th piece about the elite Chevy Chase Club. The club, which has served Washington's wealthiest since 1892, as the New York Times has reported, refused admission to Jews and African Americans as late as 1976. Even today, according to Politico, quote, some who have visited the club believe it has maintained an atmosphere reminiscent of earlier days, close quote. How early? Political quotes a London Telegraph story from last year. Quote, order a cocktail at the Chevy Chase Country Club and you'll step back into antebellum savannah. The blacks wait on wasps, showing all the deference expected of them. You won't find many Coens either, lounging on the well-kept lawn. Close quote. Well, who would want to join a club like that, surrounded by rich white people in an atmosphere reminiscent of the days of slavery? Big shot journalists, that's who. According to Politico, NBC's David Gregory and Brett Bayer of Fox News have both applied for pricey memberships. Bob Schieffer of CBS's Face the Nation is reportedly already a member, as is former Fox News anchor Britt Hume. 
So suddenly, corporate media's hostility toward popular movements like Occupy Wall Street, which NBC's Gregory once scolded for demonizing Wall Street, makes sense. How can journalists so clamoring to consort with the 1% be expected to fairly cover the 99%? If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Putting on the Ritz. Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes and cut away coat, perfect fits. Putting on the Ritz. Dress up like a million dollar trooper. Trying hard to look like Gary Cooper. Come, let's mix where Rockefellers walk with sticks or umbrellas in their midst. Putting on the Ritz. And now it's time for Frank Conniff's America. Hi, welcome to Frank Conniff's America. I'm Frank Conniff. You know, I spend a lot of time watching 24-hour cable news channels like CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. And now I feel the time has come for me, Frank Conniff, to pay cable it forward. There are lots of underprivileged people out there who don't have unlimited access to media, who don't have the resources to be as incredibly well-informed as I am. So I've started a new organization, Punditry for the Poor. To put my idea to work, I've invited a homeless man who sleeps under the freeway into the studio. Welcome, sir. What is your name? My name is Eddie. God, I'm so sick and weak. Do, do, do you have any spare change? I, I really need to get a bottle of Thunderbird. I'm sorry, friend, but I suspect that if I gave you that money for booze, you would just spend it on food. No, I promise I'll buy whiskey with it. Well, regardless, I am going to give you something more important than food or drink. I am here to bestow upon you the gift of cable news punditry that you could not otherwise afford. <laughs> I need... I need, I need medical attention. Help me. <laughs> Please help me. This will definitely help you. The information that on CNN the other night, Gloria Borger said that Mitt Romney used to have the momentum, but now Newt Gingrich has the momentum. And now Romney needs to get the momentum back from Gingrich. Gloria Borger said it, and David Gergen agreed. <laughs> Could you call? Could you call an ambulance? Excuse me, but didn't you hear me? David Gergen agreed with Gloria Borger, and so did Peggy Noonan. Oh, oh God! I've got the dry heaves, and I'm bleeding internally. I don't have health care. What am I going to do if I don't get some help? I'm going to die. Well, in that case, you'll be very interested in something Mark Halpern said on Morning Joe that could change everything for you. What? Oh, God, please tell me. Halpern said that if Romney beats Gingrich in Florida, this primary will turn into a real horse race. The pundits talk about the horse race aspect of politics all day and all night on all the cable news networks. So it must be important to your life. Am I right? Uh, I'm going to pass out. Wow, you seem in really bad shape. I think what you need is even more cable news punditry. Give me a break. I'm a veteran. 
of the Iraq War. After 9-11, I heard all the news pundits <coughs> say that there were weapons <coughs> of mass destruction. So I joined the army and went to Iraq and found myself uh, deployed over and over again in an endless quagmire. Then I came back and, and purchased a home with the subprime mortgage and everyone uh, on CNNBC and all the cable news shows said the prospects for the economy was positive so I tried to start my own <coughs> business and then the economy tanked an event that was not forecast by any of the mainstream news media Yes, but right now, your troubles are over, because I am going to donate to you my subscription to the morning newsletter put out by Politico's Mike Allen that tells you what's trending each day in the world of politics, and even gives you insights into who's up and who's down in the presidential horse race. Screw you! I don't need your pity or punditry! No, wait. I wanted to tell you what Howard Feynman told Andrea Mitchell about the optics of the Gingrich surge and how the perception of that surge might lead to momentum. And momentum is important, especially in a political horse race. Well, he's gone. But I am not going to give up on the punditry for the poor program. Wherever there's a poor indigent farmer who's never heard George Will's takes on Keynesian economics, I'll be there. Wherever there are starving unemployed families who don't know that Rich Lowry sees starbursts every time Sarah Palin speaks, I'll be there. I'll be there in the way children laugh, knowing that Chris Matthews thought George W. Bush's mission accomplished event was magnificent, and that his crotch looked so snug in his flight suit it proved to Chris that women love the Iraq war. And when all the David Brooks articles that celebrate the wealthy elite and all the Charles Krauthammer essays that psychoanalyze liberals he barely knows and all the snarky Maureen Dowd columns about the effeminate nature of Democrats have been filed, I'll be there too. But until then, this has been Frank Conniff with Frank Conniff's America. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as 5 $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. So, uh, News Corp. Their new slogan, it's not just phone voicemail hacking and bribery anymore. Apparently, according to a BBC documentary the other night, part of Rupert Murdoch's News Corp used computer hacking to undermine the business of its chief TV rival in Britain. 
This is according to the BBC One's Panorama program that ran on Monday. There are supposedly incriminating emails that uh, the Panorama producers have uh, found alleging and showing that the software company NDS, which is owned by News Corp, cracked the smart cards, the chips, I guess, that go into a rival uh, satellite company called On Digital. And they posted it online. I guess this happened some time ago. They posted it online, essentially, so that pirates and other hackers could get free channels, unscrambled uh, channels from On Digital. And it ended up sinking this company, which was a rival to a News Corp's um, Sky TV. Lee Gibling, who is the operator of this, uh, I guess, uh, hacking company, THOIC, says that behind the scenes he was paid up to 60,000 pounds a year. And NDS handed over a thousands more to supply him with computer equipment to actually do this hacking. Gibling said, uh, this is the uh, Lee Gibling, this is the, uh, the guy who did some of the hacking. He said, he and another NDS employee later destroyed, destroyed much of the computer evidence with a sledgehammer. And that NDS continued to send him money until the end of 2008. When he was given a severance payment of 15,000 pounds. Of course... He had to sign a non-disclosure form. <laughs> and apparently, a News Corp lawyers over the weekend, uh, Allen and Overy, sought to derail the program. This is according to, uh, I believe, the uh, Guardian. In advance, by sending around denials and legal threats to other media organizations. Better not report on this. Well... Seems like Rupee's got some problems. New York Times is looking into uh, reports from the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, that the Obama administration uh, might be uh, stopping some of their regulation in order to help uh, companies. This is what the Bush administration did, right? And now the Obama administration, of course, was going to bring us change. It's not really how it went down. And FDA officials have some complaints about that, most famously when Kathleen Sebelius overruled them and said that, because the FDA said that the Plan B is safe and that you don't need a prescription to get it, you can get it over the counter, uh, even for uh, minors. And Sebelius came in and said, oh, no way, no way, we're going to bow down as always to the pressure from the Republicans and say, 
we don't care about science and your decision at the FDA. Uh, and what we're going to do instead is, uh, is you know, say that uh, that is not allowed. Right Now, Kevin Drum at Mother Jones has done a good job of breaking down all the FDA's complaints. And he says that's the major one. The other ones are kind of minor, not that big a deal. But he noticed something uh, written in the FDA officials' uh, notes that uh, was actually much more interesting. So, number one, uh, there was this issue about uh, whether women under the age of 50 should be getting x-rays for mammograms. And doctors had decided they had done reports and decided that actually it does more damage than good because you're exposed to the radiation and the risks are not warranted at that point in doing that. When they said that, of course, uh, the uh, conservatives went nuts and they said, oh my God, look at this, this is rationing healthcare. And they ran with that on Fox News. And one top FDA official said that that scared the White House. In fact, here's the exact quote. That scared the bejesus out of everybody. Oh my God, Fox News is coming. Everybody run for the hills. Now on a second issue, um, when they tried to get calorie counts on all the different food, including at movie theaters, etc., once again, the conservatives went on the attack. Wall Street Journal wrote an article about it in uh, August 31st of 2010 and saying that it was you know, the wrong way to go. And then a senior FDA official said this about White House reaction. Quote, this was the era of Glenn Beck, and the White House was terrified that Beck would get up and say this is all part of the nanny state. That is one of the saddest quotes I have ever seen. The White House was scared out of their minds from Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck, who was such a clown, such a radical, that even Fox News basically let him go, saying, oh, this guy's too nuts for us. And here is the White House quivering. Oh, what is Glenn Beck going to say? No, let's overrule the FDA. No, 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 FDA, don't do that, don't do that. And this is not an isolated incident. If this was just one quote, I would say, hey, you know what, maybe it's taken out of context, whatever. No, but this is what we've seen a million times. This is exactly why Shirley Sherrod was fired. Remember, there, there was literally someone in the administration who said, we don't want this getting on Glenn Beck's show tonight, so they made sure to fire her. You remember the story, Breitbart puts out the doctor video of her uh, telling the story about how you know uh, she discriminated against a white farmer, and what they left out was that that was uh, decades ago, and how she learned from it, and how you shouldn't do that. So they, they did a hatchet job on her, and before you even saw the full tape, they had her fired. They had her pulled over on the side of the road in a panic, saying, no, you don't understand. You have to resign. You have to resign. We can't have this on Beck tonight. What a bunch of losers. How pathetic is that? And here's now at least a second documented instance where they're like, oh, my God, we're so scared of Glenn Beck. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, don't do that. Don't do that. And then I hear from Democrats that, oh, Jake, you don't understand. President Obama is a genius and brave and courageous, and you know he has just this enormous amount of courage, and you just fail to see it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, of course, their answer will be, oh, no, 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 uh, everybody's lying. Everybody's lying. All the inside sources are wrong. All the reporters are wrong. The New York Times is wrong. Mother Jones is wrong. Everybody's wrong. No, 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 they can't see it. Obama's a genius. Obama's a genius. Obama's brave. Obama's brave. No, 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 no. Don't tell me anything otherwise. Okay, God, these guys. It's not just Obama. I don't want to put it. It's the whole administration. They're, they're constantly running scared. It's pathetic. Just run.
Here's President Obama speaking to a room full of journalists this week at a luncheon of the American Society of Newspaper Editors. I guess another way of thinking about this is, and this bears on your reporting, I think that there is oftentimes uh, the impulse to suggest that if the two parties are disagreeing, then they're equally at fault and the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And, 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 and a, an equivalence is presented, which is, reinforces, I think, people's cynicism about Washington generally. Barack Obama, President, Commander-in-Chief, Journalism Professor? The luncheon is a tradition that has attracted every American president since Coolidge to speak and field questions. What made this week's iteration unusual was that Obama got into the nitty-gritty of a topic dear to our hearts here at Media Criticism Central, and that is false equivalency, also known as he-said-she-said reporting. The Atlantic's James Fallows wrote about Obama's exhortation. He says that, in fact, the press has gotten a bit better when it comes to this kind of reporting. The main case in which we've seen the press sort of rise to that challenge, I think, was with the birtherism uh, controversy of maybe two years ago, where for a while it was reported as some people say President Obama was not born in America, President Obama denies the charge. Eventually, the press began saying the charge is not true. Is it possible that in the midst of a campaign, the president's desire for the press to dig in to the uh, various claims is going to redound uh, to his detriment? Yes, and I think the president was in a dilemma which he himself even seemed conscious of because in the sort of lighthearted beginning to his speech, he was saying, we don't want you and the press to be reveling in all these gaffes and misstatements unless, of course, it's the other guy, in which case, uh, good job. But I think that probably he was in the grips of an uncontrollable frustration. And I say uncontrollable in that other Democratic presidents feel as if they have to give vent to their feeling that the press really should be approaching things in a different way, even as the conscious parts of their brain realize that this really won't do any good. Let me ask you a question about psychology. It seems to me that in the last few years, the press actually is doing a better job of getting to the heart of claims as opposed to simply repeating them stenographically. Is it possible that as a result of being lectured to by the president, that some news organizations will react, I'm not, he, this guy's not going to tell me how to do my job and actually kind of uh, backslide? It is possible there could be this backfiring effect because nobody in the press wants to be seen as doing a politician's bidding, even if objectively we're doing something like that. And you saw a very ironic consequence or at least sequel to the president's speech from the Associated Press itself the day after the speech. So in fulfillment of the president's request, they vetted his claim. Yes. So he was saying that they were reporting on the individual mandate as some wacky, uh, radical, anti-constitutional idea, when in fact it was originally a Republican proposal. Romney had enacted it in Massachusetts. And the AP said that the president was being disingenuous because he characterized the health care package as uh, very centrist, but that the individual mandate was uh, explicitly a left-wing notion. Which, of course, was exactly the opposite. Because the president's original position was for the public option, also known as single-payer, 
which would have been more, uh, you know, I almost hesitate to use the word, but socialistic in nature, like Medicare. And going to the individual mandate was a move to the right, no? Yes, and so there was a kind of fabulous triple whammy five-dimensional aspect to this fact check by the AP. So on the one hand, they were doing a fact check the day after President Obama asked for fact check. So that might look as if they were doing his bidding. On the other hand, they'd been doing these fact checks for a number of years. So they were sort of anticipating his objection there. And yet for the final backflip, they got the facts exactly wrong. It's like a hall of mirrors, Jim. <laughs> Let me play another piece of tape from the president's speech. So, as all of you are doing your reporting, I think it's important to remember that the positions I'm taking now on the budget and a host of other issues, if we had been having this discussion 20 years ago, or even 15 years ago, would have been considered squarely centrist positions. What's changed is the center of the Republican Party. Do you think that ideas that were once dismissed as fringe will be called out by the press according to the president's wishes? I think that it's hard for the press to operate in circumstances like these. And here's an example from recent history. Looking backwards, less than four years, almost everybody, including a large number of Republican Party strategists, can say that Sarah Palin was not a plausible nominee for the vice presidency, that she was a drag on the McCain ticket, that she was not really qualified, etc. It was very hard for reporters to say that at the time for fear of being seen as a partisan or doing the bidding of the Democratic Party, etc., etc. So, I will predict to you here and now that a year from now, two years from now, reporters will easily say that in the 2012 Republican primaries, the party really moved to the fringe. And a lot of, of ideas that just didn't have any sort of centrist plausibility were becoming the central part of the party's platform. While we're in real time, it's hard for quote objective unquote journalists to say that within the conventions of our business. And that's the struggle that we all are dealing with for these next couple of months. Jim, as always, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Bob. James Fallows is a national correspondent for The Atlantic. Hey, this is Lee Camp. I hope you've enjoyed having my Moment of Clarity rants pumped into your skulls. If you have, you would almost definitely love my free Moment of Clarity backstage podcast where I discuss the topics of the day. You know, the little things like the corporate raping and pillaging of our world. I also have on fun, awesome guests like this lady. My name is Janine Garofalo. This guy. Hi, I'm John Oliver. And even sometimes this guy. This is Greg Palace, and I've got my zipper caught in Moments of Clarity. Free at Lee camp.net itunes stitcher or the android app plus there's a moment of clarity book for those of you who thought i love moment of clarity but i hate how i can't lick it well now you can the moment of clarity book and ebook get it at leecamp.net or on most e-reader platforms and remember keep fighting and stay angry other news uh james murdoch Stepping down as the B-Sky-B chairman. This, uh, remember, he had just been essentially um, been left with this as being his only portfolio as he quickly got out of uh, Britain. 
By stepping down, it will mean that no Murdoch occupies a top position at the satellite broadcaster for the first time in years. This is pretty huge because uh, Murdoch essentially had satellite broadcasting across the world, and this was going to be the crown jewel in his, well, I guess his crown. His determination to step down at this point surprised friends. Given that only a few weeks earlier, James Murdoch resolved to stay on at Sky, even as he relocated to New York and gave up his job as executive chairman of News International, the publisher of the now-closed News of the World, The Sun, and The British Times. It sounds to me like uh, James Murdoch has a notion as to what his future is going to be. And it doesn't look so bright. He's also under investigation by Ofcom, which is the communications regulator in Britain. It's looking at whether the satellite broadcaster meets the fit and proper test in light of his stewardship of News International. Failing it would mean that Sky could no longer broadcast, although if Murdoch leaves the board of Sky completely, that aspect of the test would then become moot. Apparently, the Murdochs own about 39% of B-Sky B. It's long, they have long uh, dominated its board. And so all that James has left is with a reduced area of responsibilities in his new role in New York City, being responsible only for non-U.S. television interests. He's in charge of pay TV businesses in Italy, Sky Italia, and Star in Asia. In other words, they're building a firewall between James and the rest of the corporate interests because it appears that James uh, may not be... Well, let's put it this way. It appears that James may be subjected to strip searches in his future. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Danny Herrera. On Thursday's edition of Fox & Friends, guest host Eric Bolling responded to California Congresswoman Maxine Waters' recent comment that House Republican leaders are, quote, demons. Bowling, whose Fox Business show, Follow the Money, was recently canceled, disapproved of the Congresswoman's remarks, saying, what? what is going on in California? What? How's this? The Congresswoman, you saw what happened to Whitney Houston. Step away from the crack pipe. Step oh. away from the Xanax. Oh. Step away from the Lazofran because it's going to get you in trouble. How will she explain those comments? <laughs> Bowling's comment drew some shock from his co-hosts, Steve Ducey and Juliet Huddy. After a commercial break, Bowling said that he was, quote, kidding about the crack pipe. There is a Fox News anchor uh, called Heather Childers, and she is apparently uh, even more in outer space than the rest of the Fox anchors. Now you're thinking, come on, how, how is that possible? Well, she has... Conspiracy theories I've never even heard of. Are you ready for this one? She tweets out, thoughts, question mark, 
Did Obama campaign threaten Chelsea Clinton's life to keep parents silent? Godfather politics and then has the link to an article. What? What are you, what are you talking about? I mean, this is dumber than the Vince Foster, you know, the Clintons had Vince Foster killed, etc. Et Obama threatened to kill Chelsea? Who would be so monumentally deranged as to believe that crazy conspiracy theory? It's so crazy, I'd never even heard of it until now. But wait, I guess that's coming. And then she's not done yet. She continues. Thoughts? President Obama channels Joseph Stalin and attacks Supreme Court justices. And then another link. Yeah, Stalin was well known for attacking our Supreme Court. I don't even know what she's referring to. What does Stalin have to do with Supreme Court? And if that's the case, then the entire Republican Party channels Joseph Stalin in attacking the judiciary for the last 30 years. They're the ones who make the judicial activism point. So are they all Stalin-esque? Are they all communists? Are they all running gulags? God, how vacuous, how unbelievably ignorant. And then when she gets in, question, in trouble, she goes back to the Fox News defense. I was just asking questions. Here's another tweet from her. My one question, thoughts. That's the article headline, which happens to be a question. I'm just here asking questions. Did Barack Obama want to murder Chelsea Clinton? It's just a question. What, 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 why is that a problem? Yeah, that's a problem. Because you don't, you're obviously putting these conspiracy theories out there in the form of a question, which is the oldest Fox News trick in the book. But she's so over the top that even Fox News's uh, Michael Clemente, their senior vice president, had to write out, quote, the tweets have been addressed with Heather, and she understands that this was a mistake. In other words, we keep that cuckoo stuff internal, and we subtly leak it out in much more nuanced ways than this. We don't just say these crazy theories. We don't say that uh, Obama is with Stalin. We say, why does he have all those czars? Now, the czars were before Stalin, but it doesn't matter because it triggers in people's mind, like a czar of Russia, Russia, Stalin, communist. Oh, my God, Obama's communist. That's how we do it. Why were you such an unsophisticated person that you would just blurt out these theories? Leave it to the professionals, which are the vice presidents at Fox News, to construct the talking points for you and put it into the mainstream in a way that is more palatable. If Heather Childers doesn't get fired for this, I guess there's nothing you can get fired for. I'm blown away by the conspiracy theory of Obama wanting to kill Chelsea. Because it's not just crazy. You'd have to be massively, massively, like historically stupid to believe that you could just put that out there and that it would have, like, that everybody would be like, oh, yeah, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe. Anybody else? Yeah, okay, all right. I think Heather Childers must have, like, like, like negative seven brain cells in her head. I don't know how it's possible, but I think she pulled it off. Am I crazy? Am I crazy? I'm just asking if you think so. Am I crazy? Cause 
Cause I think so What does that mean though? Speaking of slime, I am proud to live in a country where Rush Limbaugh still has a job, but for some reason, Keith Olbermann does not. If you want a career in broadcasting, the takeaway from all this is you can bash Arabs, gays, blacks, and women. Just don't say anything nasty about your boss. That boss being the head of current TV, Al Gore. Apparently the reason Al Gore is so uncomfortable in his own skin is because it's so thin. Keith Olbermann, in case you don't know about this, has been fired from current TV. Wait, we're talking about Current TV, so you don't know about this. Current TV is owned by Vice President Al Gore, who is attempting to build an alternative to Fox News. And by that I mean Current TV is fact-based and incredibly boring. Remember Al Gore? He, he would have made a great president, but you just didn't want to have a beer with him. So we gave the White House to George W. Bush because Bush was someone you did want to have a beer with. And ever since Bush became president, we've needed all the beer we can get our hands on. So we all wanted to have a beer with Bush, who ironically didn't drink. But guess who did? Al Gore. That's right, Al Gore. Hence the bloat. In fact, Al's middle name is Kaholic. Alcoholic. Al Gore is one of the most stiff and humorless people ever to strut the political stage. So it makes perfect sense that he would end up owning a television network. Just another empty suit you got to pitch to. Anyway, Elberman was making $6 million a year, but he, he wasn't happy. Elberman says he wasn't happy because Current TV is an unprofessional operation fraught with technical mishaps and no budget for promotion. Keith, maybe Current TV would have been a more professional operation if they didn't have to pay you $6 million a year. Six million a year, and all Keith Olbermann was able to deliver was 100,000 viewers. Now, I like Keith Olbermann, Thurber Fridays notwithstanding. I think he was one of the bravest news personalities during the Bush administration. Took enormous testicles to go after Cheney and Bush when he did. And Keith had those testicles, and for that I will always think fondly of him and his testicles. Unfortunately, in order to take on our president's misguided war while working for General Electric, a defense contractor that was making billions off the Iraq folly, it also took an enormous ego, an enormous belief in oneself. We need egomaniacs like Keith Elberman, but the ego is a cancerous beast, and no amount of money, success, or respect could sate Keith Elberman's bottomless need. Just because you're right, Keith Olbermann, doesn't mean you're not morally bankrupt, which I think Keith Olbermann ultimately is. Wherever he goes, there's a fight. He's unpleasant to be around. It's not a problem with authority figures. It's a problem with other people. I don't think Keith Olbermann, the progressive man of the people, really cares that much about people. You never hear anyone saying what a great guy Keith Olbermann is. Yes, Keith Olbermann was on the right side of history, against the invasion of Iraq, against the Patriot Act. He was for Obama, not McCain. But in the end, Keith Olbermann was always in the Keith Olbermann business, which is okay. But you just get the sense he wasn't nice to the people who worked for him. He got the sense that he didn't care what the people who were just trying to help him do his job he didn't care what they had to say. 
you just got the sense that everything was about Keith Olbermann. And in the end, that just makes you a boring TV personality. And even worse, yes, there's something even worse than being boring on TV. Even worse, it makes you a bad human being. And I think Keith Olbermann is a bad human being. Maybe it has something to do with his being in his 50s and not being married and not having kids. Maybe it has something to do with living in a vacuum where all you hear is how good you are. But I always got the feeling that somebody needed to sit Keith Olbermann down and say, get over yourself. Or at the very least, stop reading James Thurber on your show. We get it. James Thurber, you're erudite and we're not. But I also see Keith Olbermann as the victim of the network news star system. The network news star system is insidious and destroys the news and its stars. Rather than turn MSNBC or current TV into a world-class news gathering operation, the executives over there take the easy way out and hire personalities to carry their shows so that ratings rise and fall based on whether or not the audience likes the hosts, as opposed to ratings rising and falling, depending on whether or not the audience can depend on MSNBC or current TV to deliver news. It's cowardice. The star system is cowardice. The star system in news is in place so the faceless executives, the pimps, get to blame the stars and not themselves for the failures of their news operations. To pinch from Edward R. Murrow, who Keith Olbermann pinched so much, the fault, dear Brutus, is not with our stars, but with our news. The star system allows news executives to claim, it's not my fault nobody's watching, it's Katie Couric's fault. And the more you pay that star, the more resentment is deflected towards the star for making all that money, and less is directed at the news executives, the pimps, who should be running legitimate news-gathering operations. Remember when CBS News fired all those reporters so they could pay Katie Couric's salary? Whose fault was that? Not Katie Couric's. The star system in news creates a series of high-profile fall guys, high-paid saps, from Connie Chung to Dan Rather to Katie Couric to Bryant Gumbel, TV journalists who fail to deliver an audience and then garner all the blame for their large salary. Here's a suggestion. If you have $6 million to spend on somebody like Keith Olbermann, take that $6 million and instead open up 30 news bureaus around the world and tell us what's going on. People will watch. Now look. I like Keith Olbermann. He's the victim here of the star system and his own ego. But basically, all he ever did was rewrite the Daily Kos. If you went to the Daily Kos in the morning, dailykos.com, you could pretty much predict all the points Keith would be making that evening. I'm being serious here. That's what $6 million got you, Al Gore, a sportscaster who thought he was Edward R. Murrow, because he knew how to rewrite the Daily Kos. Hire real reporters, not ex-sportscasters like Keith Olbermann, who treat politics as a sporting event. Open up news bureaus. If Katie Couric's move to CBS 
or Dan Rather prematurely replacing Walter Cronkite or Brian Gumbel coming to CBS, if any of that taught us anything, it's that no journalist, not a single journalist, is worth $6 million a year. Now, you know who's worth six, even $60 million a year? Rush Limbaugh. Because Rush Limbaugh started his own business. Rush Limbaugh, as rancid a man as he is, he built a loyal audience on his own with no bureaucracy, no network, no support staff. He did it all by himself. That's why the networks need a little more self-respect when it comes to their news. We watch these networks for the news, for their imprimatur, not because of their stars. We watch it because of their news-gathering operation. Dan Rather, Olbermann, Kirk, Dan Sawyer appear to be stars because they are supposedly fronting a world-class news operation. But you can put a trained chimp in there to read the news if the news is being written, produced, and reported by real journalists. The most successful newscast in the history of journalism is 60 Minutes because it's real journalism. Nobody tunes into 60 Minutes because of Leslie Stahl or Morley Safer, although Morley Safer is hot. They tune in because it's well-produced and it's real news. Journalists shouldn't be stars. You're going to get burned every time you think you can boost ratings by paying one anchorman all the money and then paying his salary by cutting back on the news-gathering operation. Give us news and you'll get ratings. Good night and good luck, which Keith Olbermann stole from Edward R. Murrow, along with $6 million from Current TV. John in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was just listening to your most recent one in the voicemails on uh, white male privilege, and I just wanted to call with uh, my experience having my eyes opened. It was uh, after college, I started a very blue-collar service business and uh, thought that, you know, I knew what I was talking about when I came from these libertarian, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, I did this myself, you know, I work a job. Uh, or I run a business that is, you know, very blue collar. And my girlfriend, who's not my wife, my girlfriend at the time, was like, you had the idea to start that business and you have a lot of doors open to you because of your upbringing and the fact that you are a white male. If you grew up in a lot of areas, you wouldn't have the idea to start the business that you started. Um, I do go into a lot of areas where you know, were I not a white male, I don't think that I would be welcomed the way that I am. It's kind of a novelty that I am doing what I'm doing, and the people who, you know, they see me, I'm not threatening, intimidating in the least, and so I have a lot of doors and, and gates, and, and people will just, like, let me go into these very gated, very pretty uh, homogenous communities because I can blend in. I, I do not look intimidating to them. Anyways, I just wanted to call and give that insight. Thanks for all that you do. Have a great day.
Hey there, Jay. This is Colby from Portland, Oregon. I just watched uh, a movie, Doctor uh yesterday called Imprison My Whole Life. Well, it's centered around uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal and uh, his court case and all of that. I think it provides a lot of perspective and context for the history of oppression and institutional racism that was prominent throughout all parts of America, not just the South. I think it would be an extremely important film to watch in order to gain that perspective that you've been talking about recently. As a white, straight white male myself, I actively have always sort of sought out to make sure I'm well-versed and have the perspectives of those who are, like, minorities or oppressed uh, segments of society. And the context that was given in this movie actually has done more for me than pretty much anything I've come across my entire life. So uh, I just wanted to put that out there. It's easy to find on the internet, so uh, I suggest anyone listening who wants to gain that perspective look it up. Again, it's called In Prison My Whole Life. And thanks. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Hi, Jay. This is uh, Lara calling from the suburbs of Philadelphia. And uh, truth be known, I've only lived here about four years, but I spent the first 37 years of my life, born and raised in Salt Lake City, and um, I found uh, Rebecca's voicemail about, you know, baptizing the dead. It really kind of disturbed me on some level. She, you know, thought it was a very, one of the more compassionate things that the church did, and she didn't like them being bashed for it because there were so many other reasons to bash the church, which it, definitely Mormonism is probably the easiest religion out there to dissect and to tear apart. But, um, I personally have always felt that that is one of the most offensive things that the church does is is to try to baptize you when you're dead. They have absolutely no right to do that. You know, if you weren't willing to accept their religion while you were alive, you know, why on earth would they think it's okay to, like, push it on you while you're dead? I mean, it just absolutely makes no sense to me. And I mean, I was just curious if any other listeners find that to be offensive. I mean, I've always found it to be so offensive that I've even considered, like, you know, can I leave it in my will, like, to send a letter to the Mormon church to make sure that they don't do it, because I have absolutely no interest in being a Mormon, whether I'm alive or dead. So just leave me alone. And I, I just thought that was just so odd that she thought it was such a compassionate thing, because it's, it's not. It's, it's completely offensive. I don't want your religion pushed on me when I'm alive. I don't want it pushed on me when I'm dead. So just keep it to yourself. And personally, I think she should be ashamed of herself that she actually was involved in some of those baptisms. But anyway, that's all I really had to say. I was curious what other people thought of that concept. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So really quickly, I want to address the last voicemail from Laura that we just heard referencing uh, Rebecca's voicemail on Mormon posthumous uh, baptisms. And I think I think that we're, we're hitting the nail on the head of, of the, uh, the, the two different perspectives on this. You know, one... The perspective that Lara just uh, described, I think, is the majority opinion, and that's what makes so many people uh, complain about it. 
And then that's what makes, uh, you know, Rebecca get frustrated about it is, uh, you know, it, when you look at this whole situation from outside of the Mormon faith, then you think it's ridiculous. But Rebecca's point was to try to get inside the head of a Mormon and recognize how completely fundamentalist they are and how completely positive they are that they are right. If you understand that, it, you know, from that perspective, then, you know, I really totally understand. I, I sort of had that instinct on that whole situation myself. I was like, you know, they think they're doing the right thing. And it's not even a question of like a little bit right or a little bit better. It's like, you know, the chance of going to he heaven versus not going to heaven. Uh, so to them, it's an absolute no brainer to do this nice thing for people to make them Mormon so they can go to heaven. And if you, if you can get inside the head of a Mormon person, then it's really easy to understand why they think it's important to do that. If you insist on remaining outside of their perspective and not trying to understand them, well, then it's infuriating and, and, you know, ridiculous. Luckily, I don't have a dog in the fight, so I'm happy to just let everyone else uh, battle that out, and I don't really care either way. Secondly, today, I want to talk about Keith Olbermann, and so for some perspective, I wanted to play this from June 15th, 2006, which is the first episode which contained a clip from Countdown with Keith Olbermann, and I apologize for the uh, horrible quality of the microphone I was using back then. Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from The Majority Report, Counterspin, Ring of Fire, The Young Turks, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and the white knight of cable news, Keith Olbermann. So I think that shows that I was squarely in the camp of people who thought that Keith Olbermann was doing something great by doing his anti-Bush uh, commentaries on cable news when no one else was. And I definitely think that you know nothing that happens in in the future can take that away from you know what he was doing then. But I also believe that you know you can say that a bad person has done good things and you can also say that good things were done by a person who ended up to not be that great of a guy and uh, my perspective on Keith Olbermann in, in recent uh, years and, and especially most recently has been that he just seems like a dick and I have a hard time feeling bad when bad things happen to bad people my opinion was completely cemented when I heard this appearance uh, by Keith Olbermann on David Letterman immediately following uh, him getting fired from Current. I screwed up. <laughs> I screwed up really big on this. Let's just start there. All right. I thought we could do this. Mm -hmm. uh, it's my fault that it didn't succeed in the sense that I didn't think the whole thing through. I didn't say... You know, if you buy a $10 million chandelier, you should have a house to put it in. Mm -hmm. Just walking around with a $10 million chandelier isn't going to do anybody a lot of good. No. And it's not going to do any good to the chandelier. Right. And then it turned out we didn't have a lot to put the house in, to put the chandelier in, or a building permit. And I... <laughs> I should have known that. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is... It is my fault at, at, at heart. Um, you're, you're the chandelier? I'm the... Yeah. So the loose translation of that, the way I heard it was, 
I apologize for the failure of our partnership. I take full responsibility. It was entirely my fault for not realizing early enough how terrible you are. And, uh, and so it, it's completely my fault that this didn't work out because you're clearly not up to my level. Uh, I, I'm obviously so much better than you that it never could have worked out between us. And it's really, it's, it's really my fault for not realizing how bad you are. So after something like that, you only have two choices. He's either so clueless that he believes his own bullshit and he doesn't, he, he thinks that what he just said was conciliatory or He's such a terrible person that he would go on television and say something that terrible about a, a former partner while pretending to be conciliatory. And, and either situation makes him look terrible. And so, I mean, I don't know which choice is worse, honestly, but he seems like a bad guy. And to reiterate, I don't think that uh, saying that he's a bad guy now takes away from the value he brought to cable news before. People like Rachel Maddow owe their careers to Keith Olbermann for what he did on MSNBC, but that doesn't change anything about how he's conducting himself now and how terrible he's making himself look, uh, apparently unknowingly, because I can't imagine why anyone would go on television and make themselves look that bad on purpose. So those are basically my thoughts on that. And, you know, I've had this sense about Olbermann for years now. And so I find it both uh, infuriating and and also kind of satisfying to see that my instincts were completely justified by, you know, this new uh, information coming to light. And, you know, when, when a guy gets fired from every job he's ever had, like, you start to realize what the common denominator uh, of all of those events are. So anyways... If you have a different opinion, feel free to call it in. But if your argument is that his record of accomplishments wipes clean the slate and means that he's a really lovely guy and great to be around, then uh, I think you're being uh, blinded by uh, by those thoughts. Or I mean, or if you just like if you like his personality, then it doesn't it doesn't mean that you know people get along with him well or that he's easy to work with you know it doesn't mean that he's not the problem just if you happen to uh, like his style uh, so anyways that is it for today i just want to thank a couple of members nicholas b signed up for a leftist yearly membership uh, uh, last year on june 7th and scott g signed up for a, a socialist monthly membership on april 23rd of last year and has stuck with the show since then uh donating above and beyond the the minimum membership amount just to help out the show a little bit more so huge thanks to nicholas and scott and all the members and donors who help keep the show going i couldn't do it without you guys of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips that you like through your social networks. That can be done through the website. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from Best of the Left. Dot com. Thought I'd buy and sell black and white So took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shiny sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor 